The Protestant reformers retained five feast days. Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. Not because these days are more holy than others, but because they help to present to God's people to keep before us these great accomplishments of Christ in redemptive history. And so 40 days after Easter, this is Ascension Sunday. 50 days after the Sunday nearest, that will be Pentecost. And so today we dwell upon the ascension of Christ, or some aspect of the ascended work of Christ. And next week we will dwell upon the theme of Pentecost. This is a good thing that we do. And I ask now that you turn to the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. We return to Hebrews for our Ascension Sunday. And as you're doing so, let me say that Eric and I determined some time ago that on these particular days we would focus in most of our music, our hymnody and so forth, upon the day. And so the two hymns that we have sung have been, have been hymns that deal with the Ascension. I hope you noticed that. Now we come to the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Let's pray briefly before reading the first six verses. Almighty God and our Father in heaven, we pray for the blessed work of the Holy Spirit. It's all in vain without the Spirit's work, the Spirit that the ascended Christ has poured out upon his church. And yet, Father, even though that Spirit has been once for all poured out on the day of Pentecost, yet you also continue to work through that selfsame Spirit in our hearts and lives and to give the church also seasons of refreshment. We pray desperately for revival in your church today. It is so needed, O God. We cry out from our hearts for it, especially in our own country. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to live consistently with that desire in this congregation. Now as we turn to this chapter and to these verses, may the Spirit of God who inspired this page be at work be at work in hard hearts to make them soft, in, in lost hearts to save them, in sinful hearts like ours to make us saints, in hearts that, that have turned or backslidden to draw us back, in hearts that love you and are aglow with the, the wonder of the gospel that we may be more so by the grace of God. Work within the hypocrite's heart. Work within the liar's heart. Work within the adulterer's heart. Work within the hearts of everyone here. For you came, O Lord Jesus, to save sinners, not good people. Hear us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews, the first six verses. This is the word of God. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect his tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. 
But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Well, here we are on this Ascension Sunday, and it is an exciting thing for Christians to remember that our Savior, having purged our sins, died for us on the cross, rose from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit, and descended to the right hand of God the Father, and that He will come again. It is a wonderful thing for us to remember that the first chapter of the book of Hebrews tells us that when Christ had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And it is appropriate for us to ask, why is this important? What is he doing? What does all of this mean for us? What does the ascension work of Christ have to do with us? And so we're not focused this morning upon the actual process of ascension and what that means, but upon the question, what is our ascended Christ up to? What is he doing? What is his great ascension work? As we come to these six verses, I want to ask four questions. And those four questions answered will help us to get a grasp of what the ascension work of Christ is all about. The first question that I want to ask of the text, and the first point is, how is Christ described? How is Christ described? And the answer is, he is described as a priest. We read in verse 1, and now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest. Christ is our priest. Do you know that you need a priest? That you need a priest, not a human priest, but God who became man. You need the divine priest who became man. You need God himself who became man to be your priest. You must have a sacrifice if you're going to have communion with God. If you're going to enter into the presence of God, you must have a priest. You must have someone who is a sacrifice who also is the offerer, who also is the offering. And Jesus, your priest, is all of that. He is the one who offers. He is the altar. He is the sacrifice upon the altar. He is all of those things for his people. And if you're going to enter into this thing that we call Christianity, you must know that you have to enter through him who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who is the only mediator between God and man. You need a priest. And unless you have entered into trust in Christ crucified, you will not know what it means to benefit from Christ glorified. And so let's start there. You and I need a priest if we are to have communion with God. And so he is described as a priest, but not only as a priest, he is described as a priest enthroned. Again, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a priest who has entered who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He is a priest who is enthroned. Now the Jewish high priest, when he entered into the most holy place in ancient times to offer sacrifices, he never sat down, never. We are told by the Jewish doctors that there was actually a, a cord that was tied to the, to the Jewish high priest when he would enter into the most holy place. In the event that he didn't offer the offering correctly and he died in the presence of a holy God so that he could be pulled out. Your high priest, the Lord Jesus, had no such cord tied to his leg. He has entered into the most holy place for you. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is enthroned. The high priest in Jewish times never sat down. Our high priest sat down 
in the divine presence on the throne. And this shows three things. His sitting shows, first of all, that his work is complete. He sat on the cross, it is finished. It is done. There's nothing more to be added. There's nothing more that needs to be done to atone for sinners for whom he died. His sitting down shows that his work on the cross is complete. It shows, secondly, that his work is accepted of the Father. That his work having been completed, he now has been raised from the dead, ascended on high, sits down at the right hand of the Father because his work for sinners like us, thank God, is accepted of the Father. And it shows us, thirdly, that he holds sway over the universe. That this God-man, now ascended on high as our mediator and great high priest, sits on the very throne of God at the Father's right hand. That is to say, at the right hand of authority. And as our mediator is head over all things for the sake of his church, and is bringing history to its appointed end, and is at work drawing his people to himself and saving sinners like you and me, he holds sway over all of history, all of life, He holds sway over the universe. Jesus, having sat down, shows that his work is complete, his work is accepted, and that he holds sway over all things. And so we find that he is described as our priest and our priest enthroned, but that's not all. He is also described here as our priest enthroned for us now. Look again at verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a priest, such a high priest. We have such a high priest. Not we did have, not we might have, not we will have, but we do have. We have such a high priest. You can connect this thought with the assurance of pardon from this morning. My little children, says John, I write these things to you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says, we have an advocate. The writer of Hebrews says, we have such a high priest. Aren't you glad, people of God, that you have a high priest? That you have, that it's a present reality? that you have been clothed in the vesture dipped in blood, that Christ has taken his own righteousness and has imputed it to your account, that you have a high priest who in, in, in the throne of God above is that perfect plea for you for whom he died. You have a high priest. And he didn't say, he didn't say we have an advocate if, we, if we're not sinners. He didn't say we have an advocate if, uh, if we're good people. He says we have an advocate as sinners and we have a high priest because we are sinners. We have our great high priest. It's a great statement of F.F. F. Bruce. He says his once completed self-offering is utterly acceptable and efficacious. His contact with the Father is immediate and unbroken. His priestly ministry on his people's behalf is never ending. And therefore the salvation which he secures to them is absolute. Unpack that with me a moment. Christ is our high priest. His once completed self-offering is acceptable and efficacious. Now, young people and children, efficacious is a word often in your pastor's vocabulary. You need to know it. It means it has power. It means that it accomplishes its purpose. 
The high priestly work of Christ is efficacious. It really does what it was intended to do. His contact with the Father is immediate and unbroken. It will continue on and on and on and on forever and ever for His people. Immediately there He is in heaven for you. His priestly ministry on His people's behalf is never-ending and therefore the salvation which He secures to them is absolute, absolute, certain. It is absolute, it is certain. Does your heart rejoice in Christ your substitute this morning, people of God? Does your heart rejoice in the fact that you have a great high priest who has entered into the heavens for you? Uh, Does your heart rejoice, O sinner, that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous? Well, this is how he is described. As a priest, as a priest enthroned, and as a priest enthroned for us now. Second question, second point. Where is Christ? Where is Christ? Answer, verse 2, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Where is Christ? Christ is in the sanctuary, the text tells us. What does that mean? Well, it says that it's the true tabernacle. That is to say, it's the original. You know, we tend to think that the tabernacle in the wilderness that was given, the plan that was given to Moses, that that was the original. And what we read of in Hebrews about Christ, the heavenly high priest, is somehow the copy. But no, the reverse is the case. What is in heaven is the original. What was given to Moses was the copy. It was a faint, a faint understanding of the reality of the heavenly court above. We, of course, know that he is... He has entered into the true tabernacle, the holy of holies being heaven itself. Because we read in chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He is in the sanctuary. He is in the holy of holies. He is in heaven itself. And he is in the sanctuary to put an end to the Levitical priesthood. Having died for our sins, all that was required in Leviticus and in Exodus, in the Levitical priesthood, in the priesthood of Aaron, all of that has been done away with. Where there was the requirement that on and on and on, morning and evening, there would be sacrifices that would be offered, pointing ultimately to his one perfect sacrifice. Now that perfect sacrifice has been made. And he is there in the heavens indicating to us That the old is done away, the new has come, the old Levitical sacrifice is done away. Now the one perfect sacrifice has been achieved and has been accomplished for us, his people. What a wonder this is. But as he is there in heaven, in the sanctuary, in the holy place, it is pointing to eternal truths that never change. And the primary eternal truth to which all of this points that never changes is that if we are to have communion with God, it is communion by blood. That it was required that the Son of God shed His blood. That the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it upon an altar to make an atonement for your souls, Leviticus seventeen eleven. And so God has given to us the infinitely valuable blood of the Son of God to erase our sins, to wipe us clean, clean, to take our sin away, to remove our guilt. All of that is pointed to 
by the fact that he is now in heaven, in the sanctuary for us. The old is done away, but now we have a perfect sacrifice there in heaven before the Father for you, believer, for you. Third question, third point. What is Christ doing? (laughs) What is Christ doing? Well, he's ministering, the text tells us, serving. He's ministering in heaven as our high priest. Again, verse 2, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Not, as he says in verse 4, as those who are priests on earth that minister after the Levitical pattern, but we have a high priest who is ministering in heaven as our high priest. And he is ministering on the basis of his finished and complete work. For we read in verse 27 of the preceding chapter, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Ephapox, once for all, he offered himself a sacrifice for our sins. And so he is ministering in heaven as our high priest. He is ministering on the basis of his finished work. And he is ministering by interceding for us as people. Again, the preceding chapter, chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now you say to me, now pastor, this sounds like something truly wonderful. It sounds like something truly wonderful, but what really does this have to do with me? How can I apply this? Well, let me give you a few applications. Eleven, actually. Eleven brief applications. You work them out more fully. Number one, his ministering in heaven as our great high priest, first of all, means that he appears in God's presence in our stead. You need to be able to have communion with God and come into his presence, don't you? You need to have that relationship with God restored, don't you? You need to be able to come into the presence of the living and true God. Well, there he is, your great high priest. And you are in union with him. You're there. You're there in the heavenlies. You are in union with Jesus Christ. You are accepted in the heavenly courts because you are in union with your great high priest. He appears in God's presence in your stead, people of God, as your representative, so that you are fully accepted just as his son is fully accepted. Another application, he exhibits an acceptable offering for our sins. Have you ever stopped to consider that as you read the Old Testament and about the sacrifices that pointed to the coming of Jesus, that the tabernacle was a bloody mess? It was a gory, gory, gory scene. There, the high priest entered with a sin offering beyond the veil, and he sprinkled the altar, put blood upon the horns. There was blood at the, at the foundation of the altar. The priest himself covered with blood, covered with gore. What it must have been to have been in that holy, most holy place, and there to see the candelabra that would shine against the backdrop of that freshly sprinkled blood on the gold. What a picture that must have been for the high priest. No one saw it, but God saw it. God saw what was happening. God saw what was taking place. Those for whom our high priest intercedes, 
taking into heaven the value of his own shed blood. He exhibits an offering for our sins that means you are forgiven for time and for eternity. The blood has been shed, the blood has been sprinkled and taken in its efficacy into heaven itself, the merit of Christ before the Father himself. Not only that, those for whom Christ intercedes cannot perish. Did you ever stop to consider that if we in our sin and all of our failings were left to our own devices, we could never count on being saved and persevering to the end? But my friend, God the Father elected you, Christ the Son died for you, the Holy Spirit has drawn you, and Christ Jesus intercedes for you. And because he intercedes for you, along with those other wonderful truths, those for whom he intercedes cannot perish. If ever it should come to pass that sheep of Christ might fall away, my sinful, fickle soul, alas, would fall a thousand times a day. (laughs) But I have a sacrifice in heaven. I have a high priest who has taken his merit before the Father. I cannot be lost as a true believer in Jesus. Another application, as Christ ministers in the heavenly places, he enables parental pardon. We've been justified already. The blood has cleansed us and has removed our guilt. But as a Christian, I continue to sin. What is God's promise? God's promise is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we have a great high priest, a great advocate in heaven for us, so that there is parental pardon. Pardon before our heavenly Father when we as children sin against our Father in heaven. Not only that, but our great high priest protects us from Satan's accusations. You know what I mean, those accusations. You're not good enough. You can't stand before a holy God. You're so sinful, there's no way you can be saved. There's no way you can make it to heaven. Look at you. Your your works, they're worthless. Everything you do about you, you can never know God. You can't be saved. You're not going to make it to the end. Those are the accusations of Satan in our consciences. But there we have a great high priest who's interceding for us, and he upholds every true child of God and brings him home to the end. We are also told in the Scriptures that he delivers us from temptations. And when we fall in temptation, in the providence of God, he brings us homeward even when we do fail. You know those temptations? How many temptations have come your way and you don't even know the reason that you overcome is because your great intercessor was interceding for you. And he made a way out and he led you out. And sometimes you've fallen and God has even used that to bring you along and take you, take you farther and to, and to bring you home. That's the work of your great high priest in heaven. But in addition to that, he's progressively sanctifying his saints. It is this great high priest who poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost that indwells his church and promises that he's going to be working within his people. And he is progressively, progressively making his true children to be more Christ-like. He is progressively sanctifying you and will continue to do so until he bring you to complete holiness in heaven. That's the work of the priest. Not only that, he maintains our bond of peace and communion with God. With our sin and our failings, how could we have peace with God? How could it remain? How could it, how could it not fail? How could it not be broken? How could our bond of peace and communion with God continue? Well, it can continue because, as Revelation says, to him who loved us and washed us with his own blood. 
And because that blood is efficacious before the Father in heaven, because of his intercessory work, he maintains that bond of union and communion and peace that he himself has wrought with his own shed blood at the cross when he made a covenant of grace, ordered in all things and sure with you, his people. But not only that, he makes your service acceptable. Oh, you know what I mean here too, don't you? Child of God says, you know, I'd like to serve the Lord, but who am I? I don't have great gifts. Uh, who am I to serve the Lord? You know, what's it going to matter anyway? Uh, you know, I don't have gifts that, that would be honoring to the Lord or would serve as people. Oh, that's a lie of the devil. He has gifted you. He has called you. Give a cup of cold water in his name. It's offered through your great intercessor. It's not that you have great gifts. It's that you use the gifts that God has for the glory of God. And when you offer those gifts, those gifts, those services to the people of God around you, that evangelism in which you take part, that track that is given to someone, your great intercessor is involved in all of that. And all that you do is perfectly accepted and received through, through his, his once-for-all offering on the cross for you. Don't you see? It's his perfection that counts here. None of us serves with perfection. We all flub, we all fail, we all flounder. What does it matter when you have a great high priest in heaven? Serve him. Serve him. That service comes through him as a sweet smell to the Father through his own righteousness and blood. And then, to give you an 11th application, he presents our prayers in perfection to the Father, every one of them. Child of God, there is no prayer that you pray that will not be answered, not one. He may say no, but he'll answer it. He'll answer every prayer that a true child of God asks from the Father. Every single last one of them. Every one of them. Because there's your prayer. Lord, I don't even know the words. I don't know how to pray. And I'm not even sure if I'm praying amiss or if I'm praying aright. I don't know all things. Maybe what I'm asking for is not the right thing. And there all of the prayers go up. And imagine this. All of the prayers of all of the people of God. <laughs> And he's not confused and he's not mixed up. He doesn't have to put you on hold. They all come. And there's your great high priest. And he takes every one of them. You know what he does? He takes those prayers that we pray so imperfectly and he wraps them as a gift in his own righteous merit. And he puts them before the Father who unwraps the gift and says, Ah, this gift that has come up, this prayer, this sweet savor to me, I'm going to answer this gift with another gift. And that gift will be the answer of a perfect, a perfect answer to prayer. Because that is wrapped, that prayer is wrapped in the blood, the righteousness and merit of Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, 11 applications. You add to it. You work them out. You think them through. But we have one final question, a fourth, a fourth question, fourth point, final question. Why is Christ's ministry superior? Why is Christ's ministry superior? You say superior to what? Superior to everything that has gone before. Superior, superior to Aaron. Superior to the Levitical law, to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Now let me remind you that Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who are ready to give up. They're under persecution. They're going through stresses in their Christian life. And they're thinking to themselves, hey, what I had was better. I didn't go through this when I was just following the Jewish way. And the writer has to say to them, no, you don't understand. You need to understand that the work of Christ is better the work of Christ is superior. The work of Christ is more excellent. And so we read in verse 6 of chapter 8, 
But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And so it's more excellent. It is better. It is superior. Why? Let me give you three reasons. What Jesus does as your high priest is better because Christ is the true and final mediator. That means there will never be another. You won't need another Moses, you won't need another Aaron, you won't need another mediator. Christ has come. He is the true, complete, and final mediator between God and man. As 1 Timothy tells us, there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If you want to know God, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. He's the only way, the only way, the only mediator between God and man. This word mediator mediates, as it's translated here, This word means a go-between, if you will. It means a middleman who gets the parties together. You were separated from God through his own blood. He He brings God and man together. But also the word has a shade of meaning that veers into the idea of a surety. Now you know what a surety is. A surety is someone who bears someone else's legal obligations. And so Christ is your surety, people of God. All that you owe to the law with its complete and utter demands has been paid by your surety, Jesus Christ. You don't owe it anymore. The price has been paid. The penalty has been paid. And the fruit of it is there in the heavenly high priestly ministry of Christ. He's paid all of your debt. And that's why we can sing that great hymn, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Before the throne, my surety, the one who paid the debt, the one who took my legal obligations for me. And so, because Christ is the true mediator, his mediation, his ministry is superior. Another reason, because Christ brings a better covenant with better promises. That's what we're told there in verse 6. A better covenant. Not that it had no antecedents, not that it had no connection with the old But now Christ has come. The blood has been shed. He's been raised from the dead. He intercedes for us in heaven. There's the promise of his coming again. It's a new covenant. And that we celebrate as we come to the table this morning. The new covenant in his blood. And Christ's ministry is superior because Christ inaugurates this better covenant with better promises that are better than the old, and there is the relentless presentation of Christ's superiority in all things that he does and in all that he is. Now, because Christ is such a character, let me leave you with encouragements, people of God. I think that one of the grandest and most wonderful themes in all of the Word of God is that we have a high priest in heaven. Wouldn't you agree? Let me then leave you. I've sifted through the old divines and have read for years about this subject. Let me just, let me just boil down some of the main encouragements that can come as they're repeated from the book of Hebrews by those old divines. The first encouragement is 
that the high priestly work of Christ meets you in every weakness and in every infirmity. Uh, You're weak. You fall. You fail. You're infirm, both in body and soul. Your emotions, your wills, your imaginations, there you are. A weak sinner in need of a Savior. Christ, your high priest, meets you right where you are. In all of your weakness. In all of your infirmity. Christ's priestly work is characterized by absolute purity. How could you stand before God without absolute purity? But you do. Did you know that? You do. Because you, believer, stand before God in your absolutely pure high priest. You stand there in Him. Absolute purity. This ministry of Christ, this ministry is a compassionate ministry. Turn over to the fourth chapter. Look at these familiar words. Beginning at verse 14 of the fourth chapter. These tender words. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't you see his compassion? He came into this world. He himself went through temptation. He did so with utter success. And there he is, your compassionate high priest. Never feel that there's no one that you can't trust. There is one you can trust. Never feel that you're without someone who doesn't care for you or have compassion on you. Your great high priest has infinite compassion for you. It's a compassionate high priestly ministry. Not only that, it's prompt. You'll never have to say, Lord, you've forgotten me. You may feel that way sometimes, but his timing is right. It's always prompt. He'll be there just when there is need. It's prompt. In addition to that, It's an earnest high priestly work. I mean, it's urgent. You don't have a high priest who's lackadaisical about this, who says, oh, I'll get to it another time. Oh, maybe, you know, it's not so important after all that my child is going through this difficulty. No, 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 no. He's earnest and he's urgent in presenting before the Father his own mediation on your behalf. In addition to that, his high priestly work is authoritative. When he speaks, it is done. When he presents his his blood and merit and righteousness for you, it is accepted. It is absolutely authoritative. No question that some other is needed. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. Not only that, his high priestly ministry is prevailing. It is prevailing. It's going to happen. That for which he intercedes concerning you, that for which he prays concerning you, that for which he presents his blood and righteousness and merit... It is prevailing. It's going to prevail. Another way of saying, young people, it's efficacious. It's going to happen. It's powerful. No way around it. No option here. It's going to happen because your compassionate high priest is authoritative and his work prevails in the court of heaven for you, his people. And then let me give to you also this encouragement that the work of your heavenly high priest is a constant work. 
It's not that he was my high priest yesterday, but he might not be today. Or maybe he is today, but maybe he will not be tomorrow. No, no, you have a high priest. And once having been united to that high priest by faith, you have a high priest forever. Forever and ever and ever. Because his high priestly work is constant for the people of God. Now, you know those lines that we sometimes sing. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him. And pardon me. This is the work of your great high priest, people of God. Take your encouragement from this that he has done and achieved and is continuing to apply on your behalf in the very courts of heaven. But let me say this. There may be those here today who are lost and undone. And you know, if you're not inviting lost people to our services, they'll hear the gospel every time. Won't they? You know, I hear people say, well, you know, you're not upbeat and all this. Who cares? It's the gospel that counts. It's the gospel that matters. And we don't need to use the world's methods in order to bring people to Christ. Just bring them. The Holy Spirit will do His work. We're Calvinists around here, right? Not Arminians. The Holy Spirit will do His work. But how will they hear without a preacher? Bring them. Look, lost person who is here today. Lost, undone. You see what this means for you. God will either have your blood or he will have Christ's blood. Put your trust in Christ and trust in him and his work and his blood to remove your guilt. And then you can benefit from the glory of knowing that you have a high priest in heaven who intercedes for you. One of the old divines said, if you're unwilling to go the purple way, you will never see the pearly gates. The purple way is the way of blood. The way of blood. You say that offends me. The offense of the gospel. There is no other way but the shed blood of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.